0: Jen Cooper, the Keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 345. So with that number, we're going to give a shout out, appropriately enough, to Utah Royals all-time leading scorer, Amy Rodriguez, who played sorry, 9,345 minutes across all competitions in her NWSL career. A-Rod was originally allocated to the Seattle Reign for the inaugural season of NWSL, but she ended up sitting out that season to have her first child. She returned in 2014 after a trade to FC Kansas City, led that club to its first league title, and did it again the following year. After another break for kid number two and recovery from an ACL injury, Amy became the face of the Utah Royals franchise in 2018 when the club first debuted in the league. She retired after, t- after the 2021 season after stints back with the kid. Kansas City and North Carolina Courage with 39 regular season goals to her name, plus six playoff goals, which is the most in NWSL history, three Challenge Cup goals, plus a goal in the 2020 Fall Series. So, shout out to Arad and, of course, shout out to the Utah Royals being set to return to NWSL in 2024. All right, long episode today with two great chats. First with Jeff Kassouf, founder and editor of EqualizerSoccer.com. That women's soccer only website has been going strong since 2009. Um, I can't stress enough how important it is to support sites like that that are so passionately and exclusively dedicated to women's soccer. Um, A lot of the content is free, but there's also an Equalizer extra subscription um, that I think is is totally worth it. So Jeff and I talked about uh, the NMSL landscape right now. Of course, we, we talked before the Utah announcement was official. Also talked a little bit about US national team as they go into their <clears throat> final warm ups. Uh, you know, their their final FIFA window before the Women's World Cup. And then I spoke with the first time for Megan Johnson, who works for TSN in Canada. Uh, She kind of gave me the lay of the land for what the Canada women have been dealing with the last several weeks and where they are now with the hearings last week and a new proposal from Canada soccer just kind of she did a great job kind of giving me the whole picture. And of course, there's a Gen Splainer segment. This one, we're just going to go over the final eight groups for the 2023 Women's World Cup, because now we know all 32 teams. So enjoy this episode. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at MixZone with two X's and at KeeperNotes. Jen Cooper, The Keeper here with Jeff Kasouf, founder and editor of Equalizer Soccer and many other things over the years for women's soccer. Jeff, um, I mean, do you feel like me sometimes where as women's soccer is getting bigger and better that it just makes you feel really happy, but at the same time really old? (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, I'm starting to feel old in part with, uh, the way our two young children have us running ragged, but, uh, yes, I think in combination, those two things have, have, uh, expedited my, my gray hairs maybe.
0: Well, I was, um, you know, I did a presentation this week for the, the broadcast seminar, friend of yourselves, we get ready for, you know, this next season. And one of the things that I realized, I was like, oh, we are entering the second decade of NWSL, which is crazy to think about. And um, I did the calculation. The Louisville versus OL Rain game on April 29th will be regular season game number 1,000. Mm. Um, so I don't want to ask the goofy, did you ever think we'd get to that point? Because <laughs> I think, you know, especially people like you and me, we, we wanted to get to this right. point. We knew that it was possible to get to this point. But getting to game number 1,000, I, I mean what you know what does it make you think of for endeavor cell you know as like said into the second decade what's right. what's the good stuff and what's the stuff that that still needs attention
1: yeah you know i think the bad stuff has probably gotten quite a bit of attention the past year the past few months even right with um you know the the obvious in some ways of of everything that's gone on behind the scenes that maybe we've in many ways only just learned about and um, you know, I'd like to think – I mean, inherently, those uh, situations by way of people being removed have improved, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, probably still a long way to go in terms of a feeling of player safety just in light of all of that. So, uh, you know, I don't want to belabor that because I think that's probably been um, – it's very important to be clear, but it's been talked about sort of a lot. And and I do think, you know, we're now into March where – you know we're in the the month of kickoff here for um, what I'm going to call year ten. Uh, yeah,
0: you know, tenth regular how, season. However
1: yeah. we want to however we want to classify it, but um, you know I think uh, you know that's been covered. And I, I think shifting toward a little bit um, not not in a let's rah rah way, but like you know toward what's ahead. I, I do think you know you know like you said I think through the years um, we you us, whoever, however you want to classify it, always kind of looking for like, what is that turning point? Are we in it right now? It's hard to know when you're in it. Right. And, um, I think probably 2015 felt maybe like could be it, but, but maybe, maybe you call it a false start. Um, 2011 Mm -hmm. is obviously the groundwork, but then 2019, obviously, you know, turning a corner. And then really since 2019, the, the snowball of it, of, I would say investment. I mean, I, uh, I won't derail us on the, the continued lack of media investment, despite any headlines you might see. Um, but, you know, there's an obvious uptick in investment in teams, in the sport at large, in the NWSL, in other leagues, um, in players, period. In, in you know, broadcast. In broadcast. So so in, in just about every, every capacity, um, you know, the investment, I would say, is at a level now that we've just never seen. I mean, we weren't talking about um, – millions even at one point of of most of these things i mean teams were spending millions even from the get-go yeah but um so i I think that's a positive um you know i I think it's interesting we've kind of moved on to i don't know if they're all champagne problems there's some really you know strong things that need to get figured out and i've been doing a lot of reporting around the calendar problem lately Mm -hmm. as one but um you know in some ways, compared to to your point, you know, are we going to be here next year? Um, you know, uh, I think a calendar problem or a you know what's a team paying for a fee or what's you know what's the worst training facility? I mean, all of these things are kind of a, a next step of of conversation and problems. So I think that's you know a sign of, of evolution in itself, perhaps.
0: Yeah, especially with like the calendar congestion and and you know there there's so many ways that the calendar could could go right um it feels like an issue a problem and i think we're so used to having issues with the women's game but but it does speak to a level of growth right like um it's not as cliche as this is a good problem to have uh, because it's not necessarily a good problem to have but it's it, it it speaks to wow there's actually enough growth and stability in the women's game that leagues can look at, wait, you know, does NWSL want to go to a fall, of the swimming schedule is a CONCACAF champions league feasible. Um, <clears throat> could we do a U.S. women's open cup? How, how can we do a women's, you know, club world cup, you know, all of those discussions. Um, right. and I'm glad those discussions are happening. Um, I just, you know, I, I hope that, we don't have the like, Oh yeah, let's just, let's just do these. Cause, cause we should do these, you know, it's like, well, no, let's <laughs> cause you have to factor everything. Right. You know um, it, 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 to me it's the same thing as some of the issues that we had with, with the men's world cup, the number of players that <clears throat> didn't make their rosters at the last minute. Right. Because they were injured in league play, right. That there mm-hmm. was such a short window before the world cup and a compressed world cup schedule. And, you know, who knows why FIFA feels the need to keep changing things when I, I always felt that, you know, that that 32-team World Cup thing is such a perfect size, right? right? And now they want to make it 48, for, or it is 48 for the next cycle. And I'm so excited for this summer that the Women's World Cup is finally at 32 teams because mm-hmm. it's you have to finish second in your group, you know, and then you still get the round of sixteen. Right. Um, there's no well, we were the best third place team, and you know it's like you have to finish second in your group. It's such a nice, you know, And there's no confusion about who's going to play who. Like you know, which are the four of, of the best um, third place teams. Um, but but yeah, I mean, like it's it's hard for me it seems like not long ago that, you know, the dash was starting out and everything was very sudden. And at the same time, it feels like forever ago because, because of the leap in investment. Um, I hosted a a Q and a with the new dash coach, Sam lady in, in front of fans a few weeks ago and was talking to fans for a long time afterwards. And it was fun to, to drop some facts that most fans aren't, aren't aware of like specific to the dash 2019 was the first season where every coach on the dash was full-time
1: mm.
0: right before that the head coach was full-time and the rest would be part-time if not volunteer right so so it's like the fact that y- you don't see that right like no one writes about that right? right but that that's huge seeing the changes in the dash in terms of um, you know in 2019, they got you know they they got a chef hired for their for their meals, hmm. right? And this kind of got hidden with with the shutdown in 2020. But um, the club uh, bought out the building that they were sharing out at the practice facility and built it out to add coaches' offices, you know, a locker room for the dash, all that kind of stuff. Now, hmm. sure, the, the dash had a locker room at at the stadium, but when you think about it, it's like where the teams need a locker room is where they're going to be every day, which is usually the practice facility. Right. Right. You know, so it's like all those kind of things that we don't see as fans and media necessarily, but impact that that player's day-to-day life. Right. Right. Um, and, and it's all those kind of things. And, and, and now too, on the broadcast side is, you know, we go to having VAR, which means more cameras per game, period. Every single game will have, more cameras. And that just, you know, that makes everything better. Right. Um, you know, uh knowing that, uh you know, that we're not going to have games on Twitch anymore. You know,
1: <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't care for that? <laughs> well,
0: I, I mean, I, I cared for it and that I was, you know, someone who could do Twitch games called Twitch games, but my, my issue as a fan with those is to go back and find those games mm, right. is really problematic because they disappear after four months. And I oh, also, fa- okay. I also, yeah, I also found that uh, when you're logging onto Twitch, when you jump onto Twitch from a phone, it keeps wanting you to log in mm. and you, you shouldn't have to create an account to be able to watch. Right. Right. So yeah. I've had some people express frustration. It was like, I was just trying to watch a game and it became an ordeal. Yeah. So, you know, it's well, it's it, yeah. it, it, it's it's all those kind of barriers to access that, you know, when we think of all the different streaming services we've had, you know, o- over the over the years, right? Like right. I I feel like we're we're getting some of that stuff worked out and, you know, we had the announcement yeah. what yesterday that uh TSN in Canada is going to be airing a lot of NWSL games. That to me is really exciting. Right? Because that shows an investment outside the U.S. for this league, um, an acknowledgement that there's hardcore fan base, obviously, mm-hmm. um, you know, in Canada for this league, and the potential to see that in in other countries. When you think of how many uh, countries are represented in this league,
1: right? Yeah, I mean, I think high level, you know, to your point of of where we're at, you know, media rights is a big one. Expansion, obviously, I mean, that's both, you know, still in the light of LA and San Diego coming in and really changing things but also you know a real game changer in the 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 entry fee and also the investment requirement in in this next wave of expansion that's that's imminent um and then you know I, I think then you start to get into probably some of the on-field related which the, the calendar is a big item that I don't think people are fully grasping yet but it it relates to the on the field because I mean you know Allie Riley said this After I wrote that story, and and I don't mean to only reference her; she just happened to say it recently, and she said it. But she's—I can tell you—I've said this and written this. She's not alone in this, and she literally said, "I." This is a conversation I had through the years with a lot of people, friends in Europe, that the calendar issue affects retaining or even obtaining some of the best players, and that's not across the board. Obviously, there are world-class players in this league, but there are plenty of them who haven't come, never came without some changes might never come uh, as related to that. So I think, I think you look at media rights um, calendar at large and how it relates to let's call it player, uh, player quality, maybe overall. And Mm -hmm. obviously expansion. I think those are three, three major buckets that we're in right now, which again, I mean, is not, you know, it's existential to a degree in terms of where you sort of rank in the pecking order, but it's not existential to the degree of uh, are we going to be here, which is good.
0: Right. And and to that calendar point, I, I, I love that Ali Riley said that because it, it makes me think of how many times we've seen um, an international signed in NWSL who, well, they'll join the club after whatever July tournament they're playing in. Right. Uh, it'll happen this year. <laughs> yeah. Um, or I I know that there's been some almost signings, mm-hmm. but but the club is like, well, I need somebody now and you can't show up until June, July. Right. Um, or they know, yeah, this will be a great player to have. But, you know, the, the person can actually come at the beginning of the season, but we know that they'll be missing for eight weeks in the middle of the season, especially when you talk about the European players where we've seen in the Olympic and World Cup years the league schedules around it as much as they can because the American players are in it. Right. And nearly every American player is is in the league, but they're never going to schedule around the Euro. Right. So, you know, it's, I was joking, I was joking with uh, one, one team's PR rep last year. I I was like, the key is to sign the best European players on teams that aren't going to the world cup. And he's like, wow, oh, I yeah. never thought of it that way. I was, I was like, yeah, as soon as the qualifying's over, <laughs> go, you know, so it's like go for Finland, Iceland, Scotland. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, it's, it, it, it is a challenge. And, and like you said, it's a kind of thing that, you know, your average fan isn't going to be thinking about, but that does impact who's willing to come over, who wants to come over and, and, if it's even feasible. I also think it's interesting to see how um, we're going to, I think we're going to start seeing based on where clubs are, who might be willing to come over. And I'm I'm basing this on partly on Juan Carlos Amoros moving over to Gotham. I mean, I know there, there were many reasons that he made that jump, you know, mm-hmm. left to make that jump. But one of them was, I heard that there are direct flights, obviously from New York to Madrid, and they're not from Houston. Right? For him personally, so, so it's yeah, so for him personally, it's much easier to get home right hmm. um so you think about it, it, it's like I you know as things evolve, does it mean we see more Japanese players on the west coast, right and right. European or 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 not but but that's just one of the things that made me think of it. it.'s It's like, hey, if I'm making that jump to you know Right. Across the Atlantic, at least this way, I've got a short.
1: short run. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, Sophia Jakobsen's going from San Diego to Sweden, right? I, mean, I that's... know, I know. <laughs> so, um, is is one of your one of the, the situations of the past you're referencing the uh, somewhat widely discussed Wendy Renard Orlando rumor from six years ago? Or
0: no, no no but 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 it's players on that level that yeah that, that that i've that i've known about that it's it's like yeah it it you know it makes sense that they'd be interested in coming over right
1: um but but can, can we just take work? a minute to imagine wendy renard playing for the orlando pride in 2017 <laughs> that's so wild that's and that's We're, the year they made year? the
0: playoffs. oh my god that is the year they, they made would the playoff. have won
1: yeah there you oh go wendy god. renard would have brought a championship to Orlando and the entire fate of the pride organization would have changed.
0: Wow. Okay. There you go. Mind blown. Wow. Um, Yeah. And we don't even need to get into, we don't even have time to get into, you know, what's happening with, with, with France right now. Um, Yeah. yeah. I, I think about, Hey, Hey Jeff, what would have happened if the dash actually got the number one draft pick in 2014, like any expansion team normally does. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but, but, but that's a very old road to go down to uh, <laughs> um let's talk about um something that much much more cosmetic but that i think it's important to me i think it's important to you and important to a lot of fans but where we are with jerseys uh, mm. because one well, i'm so excited props to Haley carter for standing up and going no you know all white kits are you know not all the rage. Um, I've always been frustrated with it since they started kind of leaning on it in, in 2020 where it's like, you don't need to have an all white kit every time you have an away team. Um, I remember the first time it really jumped out at me. Dash was playing at courage in the fall series. I'm like, why is dash in all white when courage is in Navy dash could be an orange, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're still a very young league. We know there's new eyes every time they need to know this team is the, you know, This is the orange team. This is the blue team. If every game we're watching, one team is all dark and one team is all light. Those, you know, visually that kind of all blends together. And I also feel like we should be far enough along in, in the deal with Nike that, okay, you wear a white top, but it's orange shorts and orange socks, or it's white, white, orange, or or something like that, that, um, You even have the pieces to mix and match to create a different jersey based on what the other team is wearing. I mean, technically, at the highest level, nothing should be the same, jersey, short, or sock, right, among the two teams. And every now and then you'll see the shorts the same, right? Um, But I, I feel like the league finally started getting away from that. We're starting to see more teams incorporate some color on their away kits, but I'd like to see more. I'd like to see the away short being something that's highlighting the color of the club. Right. right. Um, yeah. You know, da- dash has done a lot of fun stuff in the last couple of years, incorporating a little bit of light blue on their away kit, but it's still an all white kit because it's been mandated by the league. I want to see an orange short, or a blue short. So you, you know, at a glance, you're like, Oh, that's the dash. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is another thing that I've been sort of extensively reporting on lately on equalizer com, and, and it's um, you know, so the relationship is supposed to change in 2024 between Nike and, and, and the NWSL, I will say this, and, and this is certainly related to the, the spirit news, which is part of this conversation. I, I know, but um, that, 2024 kits are done which is is are finalized now maybe there's some nuance to that team by team but like the colors the teams are going to wear have had to be submitted to the league already there some teams at least some team and maybe all teams are out to print out to press whatever you, you know uh-huh. to the factory so um that is one an earlier process but two tells you things are finalized and this, this sort of whatever is going on in DC, you know, they know what they're doing next year is how I would put it. But, um, the, so, so the relationship is changing to what I'm told is going to be better customization and design. And part of that is, um, this for the past five to six years now, there's been a, an unofficial white kit rule. The FIFA rule is you need a dark kit and a light kit. They need to contrast enough. Right. There's a 120-page document on that. I'm not going to go into, but that's the gist of it. And yeah,
0: it, but nowhere has FIFA said it has to
1: be all white. Yeah. Correct. But and and <laughs> I guess I gather that officially in writing, maybe the the nowhere did the league, the NWSL, say it has to be white. But for all intents and purposes, for all interactions it has had to be white for since 2017 and that, that much is changing to basically, I guess, revert to the FIFA rule is the best way to put it, that it needs to be dark and light. So I I think, I I know it's not going to be immediate. I know some teams that I've talked to that uh, maybe they didn't get this done in time or didn't know about it in time for 24, but teams are already planning for 25 as we speak 2025. So that's awesome. I, I think we'll see, you know, and again, I'm speculating a little bit. I did in my reporting, I mean, I've got a quote in there from an Orlando pride executive saying they won't be wearing white for a long time. You know, I said, does that mean we're looking at like one black, one light purple? You know, it was kind of a no comment, but that would be my assumption. I would assume that maybe a Kansas city wants to go bold with a light teal instead of a white, you know, you've got the mint in Louisville that I don't think we would see immediately, but hopefully someday. So, you know, I think that, I think, Surely there will be teams that still wear all white or, or hopefully only white and to the Orlando conversation, a colored short. Um, but, you know, I think that it should improve. I don't think it's going to be, you know, the part of this is going to be that there's a league matrix where, you know, they put all these into a, I guess, on a, on a big board and say, well, you know, it's great that you want a teal kit, but then they want a mint kit and they want a sky blue kit. And at yeah. some point we have a problem. And, o-
0: and only X number of teams right get that so many, color.
1: Right. Only so many combinations. So, so it's all nuanced, but yeah, I think, um, you know, I just, you know, I, my, my problem, and I, I don't know if this is um, I don't know if this is the contrarian take or not, because I saw people excited about this black kit from Washington. I think it's unoriginal, tired, and, uh, I get it why it's a temporary thing, but I, I think if, if that's the permanent branding, I think that's a major disappointment. And and that's not just, oh, it needs to be red, white, and blue. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it has to stay a spirit. I can see an argument for both. I mean, I, I, I understand the baggage with the name and the brand. I also, you know, the, uh, the lack of the, this, this. Countries, um, soccer in this country always, often wants to erase its history in a way that I think is is um, self defeating, and I think that you run the risk of doing that in a situation like that. So, um, I, I have actually some some pretty significant concerns. Not to mention that we've got half a league now in black primary kits, and really one of those i i guess i guess a few of those you could argue use that as as primary crest colors portland kind of evolved from their original uh, i Go guess ahead. somewhat unofficially gotham's rebrand it's really angel city really launched as a black and you know white and and soul rosa pink team and you know i get it la i get it you're selling jerseys you gotta be you know you have to play the cool card there um but Chicago but leaning into the black always. Chicago going black. I think Orlando's done it really well in the storytelling aspect. And, and just they've gotten the, the actual jersey right. Washington, yeah. don't like it. The I think Gotham, unnecessary. Um, Chicago, same thing, unnecessary. And, and honestly, the Thorns, I mean, you look at some of these mock-ups that fans make. Um, I mean, like, don't even get me st- – I, I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> the thorns kit that's leaked, if that's going to be what, what we're looking at the white one, but someone show, showed
0: me that picture yesterday and said, this is a joke, right? Somebody made this up, right? I said, I have I know. no idea.
1: I, I think in normal circumstances, someone would say I'm talking out of both mouths to hate the Portland kit and also say there's no variety. But in this one instance, I think <laughs> that it's appropriate to say both. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, like we've got to, we've got to, uh, We've, we've got to improve this. And, and I hope that we do. I mean, the, the team identity, you know, you've got to sell jerseys, but to your point, you know, at some point you need to resonate locally too. And if you wear black, your, your crest doesn't even really incorporate black. And then, you know, whatever angel city and Gotham come to town and, and it's like, okay, we got this black versus white matchup. And, you know, you could be wearing orange, you could be wearing sky blue, you know, you could be wearing purple, which there's not a lot of, we went from, red and blue templates to black and white templates. So I don't know. We've moved <laughs> laterally. We've moved backwards. I don't know.
0: Well, and to really date ourselves, Jeff, we, we've moved from a game where it was Chicago Red Stars wearing Sky Blue, playing Sky Blue FC, wearing orange.
1: And Sky Blue wore Navy in that first year where they, you know, and yeah. they, they looked the same as the rain. I mean, I actually, in writing that story, I went back to make sure I was like remembering things well. I looked up 2013 Spirit at Thorns. And then I looked up Thorns at Spirit and they did you know, especially on those grainy broadcasts, you wouldn't know. They wore the same red with a white yeah. stripe. There was yeah. nothing. So uh, well
0: and, and and I'm totally on your side with, with the Washington kits. I see I, I see what the club is trying to do, and I understand if I'm just a fan of the spirit, I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Right, right. Right. But you know, I'm always looking at it from, from the league-wide view, the all fans view. The viewer view, it's like it's just another black kit, right? Um, especially I, I, in that I'm case. Tor- yeah, I'm, tor- I'm torn about the you know what you're saying. I, I hadn't thought about it that way of you know er- erasing soccer history because I do think we do that way too much. Um, but I get that they might want to you know kind of refresh, especially when I mean, again, I'm I'm too old for this. I keep sometimes saying in my head San Diego spirit, right. So <laughs> it's the WSA team. So it's kind of nice, you know. It's like you know, maybe it's time. And, and, you know, maybe they they put now that they are actually playing every game in Audi Field, maybe they want to put DC in their name. You know, like I, you know, I get that. But but for that kit, that it's like, oh okay, you know. Um, I'm, but at the same time, I'm glad that wow, the team actually made a big deal about unveiling that. It wasn't here. It is. Right. On Twitter, you know, there was an event around it. There was an avail, and they talked yep. about this is a reset. You know, right. we're not just trying to do black to gold. Cool, this is a reset, and we're right. No doubt, know, they need that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's it's those conversations. I think that are great for fans, great for the teams, as long as you know, like you said, that the, the the league is kind of looking overview of no, we can't have more than three teams wearing this color. Um, I remember a story from. From Tom Meredith, who was the director of operations for WSA, he, he said that we had so many teams asking to be royal blue. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said Atlanta came to him and said, "Hey, can we be sky? No, can we be you know Carolina blue, sky blue? You know, can we get that approved if we switch to that?" And he's like, "Sure." So there there were basically eight teams. Four were royal blue. Then you had what light blue, purple red
1: yeah yeah you you remember that better than i yeah
0: yeah. oh and black and black near power was black home kit but but i like that like i remember that story so well because as these jersey issues have come up you know i've been like oh it's nice to know that somebody was actually moderating that right
1: and look, people are moderating it in the NWSL. I mean, there are, I mean, I've, I've had enough conversations. This is, you know, things are not lost, but you know, there's just, I, I, we've, we had this stretch of great individual designs where I think people were excited about that first really custom thorns, you know, and then, and then Chicago did the blue elevated. Do I have the names of each one? Right. Maybe, um, the blue and then they went the to the neighborhood, black. the blue is the neighborhood. Oh, the blue is the neighborhood. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, I love yeah. that one. Yeah and and you know I think that and then obviously Orlando I think's really gotten it right despite maybe you know leaving purple behind a little bit or or you know favoring black whatever but you know I, I think um to me there's just there's some copycatting that uh it's unnecessary and I think you know again champagne problems I guess but you've got to get to a <laughs> point where you've got some personality and identity in the league you can't you can't just be Back to like looking like templates like this, and I think it will. I think this maybe is a a problem that changes a year from now, but um, you know.
0: Well, I mean, I'm thrilled to know that the 2024 kits are set, and they're already talking 2025. I mean that that speaks to a level of growth that you know we were only Never dreaming about, uh, you know, a few years ago. Well, let's let's move to on the pitch. I mean, what you know, what are your concerns? For, for 2023 or what do you think of the things that we should be looking forward to? Um, I mean, I'm I'm psyched that the challenge cup is not treated as a preseason tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like they got the schedule 90% right. Um, and the 10% wrong to me is the fact that there are actually games scheduled on the same evening. On the final. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the the final to me is a minor point because the final like the times don't conflict at all, right? Right, but to me the fact that there are games the evening of July twenty first when there's also the USA kicking off the World Cup on the evening mm-hmm. of July twenty first, um, that that from. yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, also, or, also, you know, just yeah, avoid the day, right? But yeah, yeah, um, but
0: but other than that, I f- I feel like it, it's there are very few midweek games, right? Um, right, and and I, and I I I love that almost every game that's being played in the world in the World Cup window is a cup game, right? Like I think I think that's that's the way to do it. I think that's what we were hoping that they would would do, right? Um, you know. I like you know the six teams in the in, in the playoffs um it, it It seems like you know maybe one of the strongest schedules we've ever had and and I've seen just just a few instances where I don't like it when you know when you're only playing teams once home and away, well, those two games shouldn't happen within three weeks of each other right right um but I know year. yeah, but I know that uh you know there's still venue complications where you know in in a good situation like Chicago, they're the number one tenant at SeatGeek, you know, and soon Kansas city will be the number one tenant at their own stadium. Right. But, right. um, a team like the rain, well, they're tenant number four, um, at Lumen field. Right. So, you know, y- y- you get what you get, but overall, uh, I'm fairly pleased with the schedule layout.
1: Yeah. 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 I think it's, I mean, it's, uh, I think, among among the things that uh, they could get right, I think they got it right. You know, I mean, there's still the problem. I think the best way I can classify it is it's my job, it's your job to pay attention to the NWSL in great detail. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in 2019, I remember being in France and I was in a uh, – I had just gotten to Lyon and I think when they resumed play where there was a game on and our, our friend John Halloran – With bless his soul, had put it on. I don't know who was playing even now, and I just remember thinking, I don't care about this. Like I'm exhausted. I am. It is. You know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to get ready, work wise for a World Cup semifinal. And there's zero reason, including for a fan, really, unless you're like, this is my Saturday night entertainment to go out to. Uh, There is no reason to care about these games right now in the context of how invested you are in the other thing that a billion people are watching from around the globe. So um, that is a problem that won't go away for the league. And I think they're finally realizing that in a way that they're, they're taking things seriously in terms of major changes. But um, yeah, I think they've gotten, you know, the challenge cup, right. I'll continue to say that the playoffs, maybe, maybe the format, maybe you incentivize some things in some sort of different way, but six is plenty keep it there and and more so do not i don't this is we do not need conferences we do not need imbalanced schedules i don't care if there's 12 teams 14 teams up to 16 um you know we'll talk after that i I think we're a long way away from 16 even if the money seems to be flowing in that a long way away from being over 16 i should say um, yeah that uh even at that point, home and away, balanced schedule. That's how it should be done. And you keep it that way. I don't want to see, I don't want to see, need to see conferences. I don't need to see, you know, I, I love these rivalry matchups. I don't need to see them four times a year. We're yes. ready to get that in the Challenge Cup anyway. You know, that's yes. what cups are for. So I think they've gotten a lot of these things right that need to stay right. And they need to resist the, the temptation to change for. You know, just for the sake of it, which is part of maybe that kit conversation, that brand conversation. But um, yeah, I think I think those are, are positives. You know, and and let's see where uh, see where the final is. I mean, I think we could take some guesses at where the next couple of years might be, given facilities and major markets and whatnot. But um, you know, I, I think there's some positives there for the league. And obviously, you know, let's see, Jen, Jen you and I have heard how many times. I mean, but in 2011 it was a dead league walking. But how many times have we heard about you know, a world cup bump and the annoying sort of phrase, but, you know, (laughs) I think if it's going to happen in in a noticeable way, I think it's got to happen this year. And I, you know, I'm interested to see how that might happen.
0: Well, I feel like they're set up to take advantage of that bump in a way that they haven't been before, right? 2015, they were seemed like they were wholly unprepared for, for the U S to be as successful as they were. Right. And they expected the players to be back and hadn't anticipated, you know, all the post championship poo ha. Um, So I feel like, you know, they they lost out. Um, I'm not sure they learned much four
1: years later either.
0: Well, yeah. And that's what I was going to say. Like, I was disappointed in 2019 that it seemed like like they figured out the scheduling in terms of, okay, you know, the players might not be back later, but they, they weren't taking advantage of, you know, everything that was going on. Now, there were some teams that, that saw, you know, a bump in attendance, but some of those were, uh, uh, I don't don't want to say fake. I just want to say maybe inflated. Like, (laughs) you know, well, I mean, let's be honest. We know that that Chicago was giving away tickets um, because they wanted to have a big game right after the world cup. And they are also selling very cheap tickets and and I'm not going to say they're the only team doing that. Right. Like, um, you know, we know that that Houston with the, the playoff game last fall, they were they were doing seven one three tickets, which is seven dollar tickets, one dollar hot dogs, three dollar beer, um, right. you know, which is a great way to get people in, in the building. But, you know, you're kind of manufacturing that that bump in that way. Now, there were some places where the, the bump was real, um, but really the test to me is, is like, what do you see for the next game after that? right? And one of the things that, that frustrated me in 2019 was for the Dash, their first two home games after the World Cup were both against Sky Blue. Like, okay, so we see Carly. We see Carly again, <laughs> right? Like, like it's, it's, it's that kind of, you know, lack of, lack of planning. And we're in a very different place from that going into the 2023 season. But it's just, I, I do feel like the league is uniquely positioned to take advantage of everything that will come out of this women's world cup, whether or not the the U S win, right? Like I remember hearing the phrase back in 2015, it's like, Oh yeah, we need the U S to win. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. If the health and success of the league is predicated on the U S women winning every four years, that's not a really good business
1: plan. Absolutely. And 2015 was stronger than that. I, I can tell you there were conversations that were, you know, this league exists to prepare the US. And if they do not go win, maybe this league doesn't exist. It's, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm paraphrasing, but it was, it was, a, those were strong conversations.
0: Right. Right. So I feel now it's, it's like the, you know, what I'm hearing is more like we have so many World Cup players in this league, right? It's not just the US. Obviously, that's the focus, but it's not just the US, right? When you, and I mean, the fact that we have Sophia Jacobson you know, playing in this league right now and not in a deem, you know, Denmark returning to the world cup for the first time in what, 16 years, you know, all of those stories, Denise O'Sullivan. I mean, Ireland making the world cup for the first time, you know um, I was making a list of, you know, the non-Americans heading to the world cup. And it's crazy Jeff that like we have Rocky Rodriguez scored Costa Rica's first ever women's world cup goal. Tembi Cutlana, <laughs> South Africa's first ever women's world cup goal Havana salon Jamaica's first ever woman. I was like, it's amazing who we have, yeah. um, in, in this league relative to that. And I just hope, you know, the league is ready to be firing on all cylinders that even though, um, you know, only cup games will be happening that as everything else is happening in the world cup tournament in Australia, New Zealand, that, you know, the league will be gaining traction for that and that the teams are set for, you know, as their players return, you know, um, and that's one of the, the, the things that, you know, I'm working on I- internally as, you know, my, my role is, you know, the broadcast notes for the announcers and, and everything about the players and, you know, trying to know who's leaving when for their team, right? Because, you know, historically we've seen U.S. and Canada leave earlier and well, some teams leave it later. Decided. It is decided, but I'm just saying it's like in oh. the past it's been oh, rolling. Oh it's, it's been a rolling thing. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, and I, I remember in 2015 um, an announcer assuming that because Sam Kerr was still with um, I guess she was at Sky Blue at the time, I think, um, that, that oh, she wasn't going to the the World Cup, like, no, she's going. It's just that the Americans and Canadians had already left, right? But more important is the coming back um, because, and this is why I'd love to see on the player availability reports, not just the international absences, but the international returns because the World Cup under like these, unlike the set FIFA windows where, okay, the window's over, she's back, right? It's like, well, this team was eliminated off the group stage. Is that player coming back immediately or did they give her a week or did they give her two weeks right like like those kind of expectations you know like like 2019 i think uh the courage only had to go three games without abby ursag right because if your team's eliminated you're you're done in about 10 days right
1: you know that that rendition of the courage too i think if you look at the uh aftermath of major injuries that have come out of you know players who have come out of that uh yeah where they you know I think again, talking about things now where we've got new light to, to people who ran things, right? But um, that environment was two a day, run you to the ground, and, and look at you know significant number of major injuries. You know whether they were during that or they came after it. You know I, I don't know how much you can associate. I think you've got a call that some contribution, but yeah.
0: Yeah, and and, that, and that's a really good point because to me that also speaks to the evolution of, of the league um, in that I think we've got more coordination between club coaches and international teams in terms of, okay, this player, this is our plan for her, so let's work together and, you know, not double up, right? Um, yeah. You know, I remember... Um, the dash coach several years ago telling me that he was stunned to realize that some of his internationals were following not only the dash training regimen, but they were, had been given a regimen by their internet, by their national team coach. And they were following both, you know, Mm -hmm. and he was, he was like, no wonder they're exhausted. (laughs) You know, so he's sitting out with these players. He's like, we've got to coordinate this because, you know, our regimen is set up so that you're tired at a certain point and that you're rested and ready to go by game day. Right. Obviously your national team has a different perspective when you're not w- with them, you know, it's like, but, but, but you can't be doing both. Right. And from the player's perspective, obviously you're not going to want to say to your national team coach, no, I can't do that. I'm doing my club regimen. Right. So, right. so I, I, I think we're evolving to that. Like, Hey, we've got to all work, work together on this and and we're moving yep. into that, you know, that, that more mature club versus country debate, right. Which has always been there on the men's side. And now, you know, we're getting to the point where it'll be there on the women's side. And that's, to me, that's actual, you know, normal functioning. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So speaking of national team, let's, let's, Mm -hmm. let's wrap up our our conversation talking about us national team is, Mm -hmm. you know, we've got the national teamers that come back from, from She Believes joining their, uh, you know, their preseason camps. were just, you know, barely two weeks from kickoff of, of the season. Um, so there's only one more FIFA window uh, before the window that is right before the World Cup. So we've got that window in April. The U.S. will play Ireland twice. Um, what, one of the things that struck me looking at the schedule is this World Cup, unlike the last two, League play in April and May and probably early June will have an impact on a roster in a way that it did not in 2015 and 2019. 2015-2019, the World Cup kicked off basically the first week of June. Jill Ellis was finalizing her roster right after that April window. The league was kicking off mid-April. So if you hadn't already made an impact in the previous season or in January, February, you know, she believes you, you weren't, you know, you had no more case to make. Here, you know, Vlacko has a bigger pool than I think we've ever had before. Sure. He has more questions <laughs> to answer, probably, than Ellis did just because of the number of 2019 and 2021 players that maybe haven't fully come back from injury. Right. Right. But he also has like these two games against Ireland will not be here's the last look. It'll be the last look while they're playing in a US jersey but they'll all go back to their clubs. They will have their, you know, late April. They'll have right. all of May. They'll have a little bit of June. Um, I'm assuming rosters are, are due into FIFA probably early July. Um, I'm assuming obviously that uh, uh, Vlatka would probably pick his roster. Maybe what late June, like right after, right when they announced the departures, what is that it's like June 26 game is the last one for the
1: internationals. June 26 is the Monday that's the that's the release date so yeah, release 24 date. 25.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just I'm excited about that that it's like league play, you know, someone has a chance to make a run right. and get on this roster and be, you know, again to date myself, be a Shannon Box from 2003 <laughs> who had You might amazing, have something like that, yeah. Yeah, who had such an amazing uh, WSA season she got called into the final camp for the US and, you know, Got named to a World Cup roster before she had ever been capped, right? We yeah. might, might not be that crazy, but it's but it's like someone on the bubble. Right has it a chance be. in the way that they didn't,
1: you know, for you. Yeah, years it, won't ago. it won't be uncapped. I don't think we'll ever get that again in terms of uncapped. No, but yeah.
0: no, I don't think um, we will either. <laughs> but
1: uh, I think, you know, there's plenty of them. I mean, plenty of players in the very low caps that are sort of floating around for that roster spot. But um, yeah, I think the interesting dynamics here, I mean, there's, there's more injuries than I ever remember going to a major tournament and, and the dynamics of that and even trying to imagine what this roster would be because I think you look at how this team has been built over the past year and who it's been built with. Um, and you say there are a lot of players. I mean, there are more than 23 players. And unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I don't know, however you view this, I think probably unfortunately, 23 is the number. FIFA is not budging. I've asked them about it. They've, right, It's not going to be 26 like the men's. They have their reasons, excuses, whatever you want to call them. Um, so th- there are more than 23 players I think that you would – probably you could realistically look at and say, well, of course she's on the roster, right? And part of that is um, there are, I, you know, I don't wish this. I I almost feel, you know, as a human, sort of bad trying to um, predict the roster as we all do and and doing these big boards, which I I do do, I do them. um, But, you know, I write them, but they, there are a number of players here that have been in the, been in prominent roles, let's say, starting, regular, in every camp, whatever, for the past year, a number of them that might not actually even go to the World Cup because they were certainly there because they deserve to be there, but also a part of the subtext is that a very prominent you know, potential starter in their position was has injured. been injured, maybe multiple players in, in a given position, and so they've been a number one or two option for so long, but... Oh, so many of these players are getting healthy in this. You know, started in January, maybe with Lynn Williams to April, maybe. Maybe we see Katarina Macario back. I, I do think that. I don't know where Kristen Press is in her exact recovery, but you know, should she be healthy enough to be in the conversation? She's she's in the conversation. We've got Tierna Davidson back in camp. Crystal Dunn, obviously, different scenario, not an injury, but as as fully reintegrated, um, right. You know, there are there are so many of these, these cases that um, I think all of those players I just named, right, are, okay, well, and, and Kelly O'Hara hasn't been in camp lately because of a, right. a, a nagging injury. So, you know, all of these players that I've named are like, well, of course she would go to the World Cup. But when you add those up with all the players that you might say that about for uh, who have been in the mix over the past year, you know <laughs> – I think Vlaco has a very uh, thankless task and a very difficult <laughs> task. In uh, that's a given for any U.S. coach in any cycle, right? The added context here is, I think he, depending on some of these timelines and the form of players, to your point about league play, I think there are going to be multiple decisions in which he's going to be tasked with. You know, do I go with the player who's been part of this rebuild? Maybe really understands it maybe maybe gets it within the group and has you know you don't totally bring a player for team chemistry but but gets it from the perspective of they've been in the training and working on this and the injured player hasn't been here or you know i think there are going to be multiple decisions there where there's that versus okay but on pure talent and you know all things equal for health this player is the better and more talented player, right? And and right. maybe also comes with the experience of winning one or two World Cups. So I think that the dynamics here are uh, uniquely interesting, even for a U.S. team that always has, you know, some level of um, the inherent snubs because there's just a deep talent pool. I think this is going to be um, really interesting, and obviously is going to shape how they how they progress in this tournament.
0: Well, and I want to address the, the roster size because initially I was of the camp of like, yeah, they should have 26 just, just like the men until I thought of two things. One, um, I heard the feedback, you know, for Qatar was, you know, all the teams hated it. And by teams, I mean, you know, the management of the teams, right? Um, and it made me think of something that, um, you know, James Clarkson told me after the 2020 Cup. Um, You know, so Dash wins, kind of a surprise. He said several NWSL coaches called him and said, how did you do that? Um, And his answer to most of them was he made the decision before the tournament. He's like, I'm not going to take 28. They could have taken 28, right? But he realized, Mm -hmm. he's like, that means I'm going to have four extra people that are stuck in a bubble, you know, for five weeks that are not going to get to play. He goes, you already have a lot of people at 24 that aren't going to get to play. Right. right. Or aren't, aren't going to get to play as many minutes as they think they should play or aren't going to get to start when they think that, you know, all, all that, all that kind of stuff. Um, and he he knew going into that bubble, it's like it's going to be so problematic um, to keep everybody happy and keep the the spirit of the team up. Right. So that's that's the decision he made. And he told the players, I think it was like late May, maybe three weeks before they had to, to roster. He's like, we're taking 24. Right. So everybody knew four players would be cut. Um, And so, you know, I, I view FIFA's decision. No, they're not trying to be, you know, unfair to the women. The reason that they added the extra three spots was because of the compressed schedule of the Qatar world cup. And we do not have that compressed schedule, um, you know, for, for Australia, New Zealand. And also with how quickly, the cup was following league play, right? There was basically only a week, mm-hmm. like maybe ten, a 10 day break from league stopping play to. Um, so, you know, I, I think 23 is right. Um, that being said, you know, everything you mentioned about how we have such a deep pool, but then you add on to that all the complications of the number of players. When you go back and look at that 2019 Women's World Cup roster and you look at the number of players who are still active, right? like what the only person we lost lost quote unquote to retirement is Carly Lloyd and Valley Krieger. Mm -hmm. Right. Like everyone else is is still active. Unlike 2015 to 2019, you had a lot of retirements. Right. right? But here it's, it's like all these players are still out there, but there have been so many injuries, um, and, and other issues. Like, I don't even know what you call, you know, Julie Ertz. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's an incredible task for Vlako, and I and I kind of giggle anytime I see the Vlako should be fired. I'm like, well, you know, it's going to be a shit job whoever <laughs> takes it on, and and you know, there's there's no one answer, right? You only got 23 spots. I mean, could you imagine if there were 26 spots mm-hmm. and you and you had all of these crazy strong personalities, especially? so many of them having been starters before, like what I'm player number 26. And I don't even, you know, (laughs) I don't even see the field, you know? um, Yeah. It's, it's funny. It's like, be careful what you wish for. Right. Like we, we always wanted the U S to actually use its bigger pool as opposed to, okay, these, you know, 24 players are on contract and this is our pool. Um, You know, but then this is what comes with it. You know, the, the decisions are harder the competition's higher, um, mm-hmm. but that's, you know, that's part of what makes us, you know, the number one ranked team in the world, uh, historically the the best performing team at the World Cup. And, and to me, one of the reasons that End of Your Cell is one of the best leagues in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So so I'm not going to ask, you know, who's going to win the World Cup because I, mm. yeah, I don't think, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's fair. I don't, want, I don't even want to answer that question, but I'm, I'm going to wrap this up with, who do you think is going to surprise us at the world cup of the first time attendees? Because I'm so oh, excited. I'm so excited that there's so many of them. The, the, the games, mm-hmm. uh, the playoff tournament games in New Zealand were so great to watch. Um, and, and thrilled me with how close they were. Cause I was worried that some of those would be total blowouts. And it was funny. It was the friendlies. It was poor New Zealand's friendlies that were blowouts and all the playoff games were actually really close. <sighs> So, so any thoughts, any um, thoughts
1: on those? Well, look, I, I mean, surprise being all relative. I think that having been able to see some of them up close, you know, yes, group matchups and whatnot. But I, I, I'm really interested to see what Haiti does. I, mm-hmm. I think that there's a real supreme level of individual talent. Obviously, Melchi de Mornay uh, is, is, you know, I think will have an argument for being top world player potentially could. I mean now now we'll have the platform of Leon going forward. Um, you know, and I think to to think about that as potentially even to, to even have that conversation about a, a player from Haiti, right? I mean It's amazing. Is, it's it's a generational thing, even on the men's side, right? We saw it, you know, I think of, you know, how many times on the men's side even has has that conversation really bucked the trend of a traditional sort of major, not even program, but even just like big world country type of, you know, big country in population, big country in you know, the political sphere. Um, it's been pretty rare. I can think of a couple instances and they're not super recent, right? So um, you know, I, I think that she's obviously the most prominent example, but I think that Haiti, you know, you look at how they played the US. I mean, I'll say it again and and this is, you know, you could, probably, you could probably find dozens of, of opponents through the years here that could say this about the U.S., and there's a reason maybe that the U.S. typically has always come out on top, as you said, and that won't always happen. But, you know, I think you look at the first half hour of Haiti-U.S. in uh, CONCACAF W qualifying last year, and something bounces a different way, and we're having some very different conversations about both of those teams maybe in, from that, that game. So, um, you know, does that, does that play out the same way against England? Does it play out in some capacity as a, as a sort of dark horse team to to get out of a group to make some noise? I mean, I think that's probably um, you know one that that jumps out to me. Um, and then you know, I, I haven't seen an update as of this recording. I'd have to, and I, I didn't really prep for this particular topic to look at or this particular <laughs> team. for This, but you know, what a what what's the status of Barbara Banda? I don't I don't know. Um, Yeah, exactly. But, you know, that the answer to that, you know, probably influences my, you know, my answer about Zambia, because I think we saw it at the Olympics, right? We saw her at the Olympics. So amazing. um, that that could be one that is that is a story to watch at the very minimum. And and hopefully it's a, a player to watch at the tournament and a team to watch if that's the case.
0: Well, and and with Haiti, you know, just like you mentioned that that CONCACAF W game last summer, I also think about January 2020, Olympic qualifying. Mm-hmm. Haiti had a goal called back as offside, which was not offside in any way, shape, or form um against the US. And I remember just like, wow, they were denied this amazing moment of history, right? And I'm sure the US woman would have rallied back and, you know, probably scored five, you know, to overcome that that one. But it's like, it was a great shot. It was not offside. It was a strange call by the referee. Um, but it's just like the talent there. I remember, it, it, you know, the buzz around, um, you know, Melchi then too. It's just like, it, yeah, they've, th- this has been building for a right. while. Well, and yeah,
1: they their youth, youth programs for five, seven years now.
0: And one of the things that, that it made me think of was so... 2010 was the the Haiti earthquake and maybe about a month after the U.S. U-17s played the Haiti U-17s in qualifying for the U-17 Women's World Cup that year. Mm-hmm. And this only sticks out in my head because there was a story about how after the game, you know, of course the U.S. won by a lot, um, all the U.S. players went over to their equivalent Haitian player, same jersey number, and gave her a backpack full of snacks, clothes, soccer gear. Cause like mm. they knew, they knew like, you know, what you know, these these guys have been going through a really hard time. And so that popped in my brain after Haiti qualified. And I went back and I I found the game report from that game. Um, there's one player from that game in 2010 who is still with Haiti and now her name escapes me, but there's one player. So it's like she was, you know, 16. Mm. Playing on that game 13 years ago, and she's still with the team. Where, as we know, the bulk of the team is what 19 to 23, right yum, now. Yum. So it's it, it's like I want that player's story, and I will find the name of that player. Okay, the send team. it to me. I'll, but, but, yeah, again. yeah. But but it's it's like that's you know it, it's like we we forget as we've seen U.S. women, you know, they're. Their advancement, their growth, everything they've fought for and won over the last 20 plus years, right? We forget that still so many of the women's national teams in, in the world are where Haiti is, right? And I just, it was so exciting to, to, to see them qualify. And, and I agree with you. I think they're, they're, the, they're the newbie to watch in this Women's yeah. World Cup. Yeah. well jeff thank you so much for taking the time to chat thank you for everything you do and everything you've done for women's soccer for those that might not be aware jeff has been running equalizer soccer since 2009 and it was the first american website devoted strictly to women's soccer so props to you jeff
1: thank you appreciate that Jen.
0: Time for a little gen splaining. The topic this episode is the Women's World Cup groups for 2023 because now we have all eight groups of four have been set. We had the three final slots decided in late February in the FIFA playoff tournament held in New Zealand. Um, if you haven't seen those games and you want to watch them, some of them are really great, exciting, down to the wire games. They are all available in their entirety for free on FIFA.com, um, or rather through their FIFA Plus app. So you can go it through the website, go it through the app. Incredible content. Um, on that app. And I love that you can watch all these games in their entirety on demand. So Portugal won Group A in the playoff tournament. That I, I would say that was the only outcome that wasn't a surprise. Uh, this will be the first time for Portugal to play in the Women's World Cup. They beat Cameroon 2-1 after Cameroon had beat Thailand 2-0. So Portugal is going to be slotted into the group with the USA. So USA's group will be USA, Netherlands, Portugal, and Vietnam. And then in group B, in the playoff tournament, you had Haiti, of all people, of all countries, Haiti, qualified for their first ever Women's World Cup, becoming just the second Caribbean nation to qualify for Women's World Cup. And when you look at everything that country has been having to deal with, with with the earthquake 10 years ago, and all the mess at the Federation, and it's 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 amazing. And watching those players play was just, uh, just a testament to joy. So Haiti upset Chile, who had been to the World Cup last time, 2-1, and they reached the final for their playoff group by being Senegal, 4-0. So Haiti is going to end up in Group D of the Women's World Cup. So they will face off against England, China, and Denmark. And then the last playoff group at the tournament last month, you had Panama. Again, Panama of all teams, not who we thought we would come out on top, They defeated Paraguay 1-0 to get a spot in Group F in the tournament. Now, that group had been four teams. That playoff group had been four teams, so... Paraguay beat Chinese Taipei 4-2 on penalties after a tense 2-2 draw. And that game, Chinese Taipei was up 2-0 late in the game and conceded two goals. So they came so close. Panama handily beat Papua New Guinea. And so then it came down to Paraguay, Panama, Panama winning 1-0. And for NWCL fans out there, you got to know there's an NWCL player on Panama, and she's a rookie. She's a draftee, Riley Tanner with Washington Spirit. She scored against Papua New Guinea. She played in that final against Paraguay. She is very likely going to the Women's World Cup. So like I said, um, Panama is going to be in Group F in the tournament. So get this. They're going to play France, Brazil, and fellow CONCACAF member Jamaica. So the Jamaica-Panama game in the Women's World Cup group play, I mean, you so rarely see... Two teams from the same confederation that aren't European teams face off. Um, and those were two teams that had to face off in 2018 for the playoff to see who would get the final CONCACAF slot. So lots of great matchups for group play. And I'm, I'm sure people have seen this on Twitter, but I love this. Uh, you know, people have said, who had six CONCACAF teams going to the Women's World Cup and none of them being Mexico? And it makes me very sad for Mexico, but I I think it's just it's so fascinating where we are um, on the women's soccer landscape right now. So overview: we know all 32 teams. There's eight groups of four. You play everybody in your group. Top two teams in each group advance to the round of 16. Uh, if you want any more information on the groups, on the schedule, any of that, Wikipedia has a great site. Of course, there's FIFA.com, there's FoxSports.com, all kinds of great sites out there that you want to follow along for the Women's World Cup. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Megan Johnson, who's a senior producer from TSN, who covers the Canadian women's soccer team. So of course, you know, Megan, you were the one I wanted to talk to when I thought I need to catch up with everything that's going on with the Canadian women's team um, and Canada soccer and the hearings and so so let's start at the beginning. Let let's kind of go back to right before she believes because I I, I want to lay this out uh for any listener that might not, not might not have all the pieces, right? So mm-hmm. so here we are in February 2023. You've got the reigning Olympic gold medalists um, starting prep for their Women's World Cup year um, with a coach who was nominated for coach of the year, FIFA coach of the year, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And the world's all-time leading goal scorer. And and what happens as they go into that initial camp for She Believes?
2: Oh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. That was just a month ago. And so much has happened since then that I'm trying to take myself back is actually what happened. But basically, um, the you know, the team arrived for camp, as you said, um, and learned about some pretty severe budget cuts to the program, essentially, where Canada Soccer, uh, what we learned actually from these hearings that uh, happened uh, a few days ago, but we'll, we'll get to that, I'm sure, but we learned from the players that it wasn't even Canada Soccer that told them about these cuts. They arrived at camp and it was Bev Priestman that said, you probably noticed uh, some cuts. Um, there wasn't as much staff at the camp. Uh, they weren't allowed to bring as many players as they usually do. Uh, I know Quinn testified and they had said that they couldn't even do 11-on-11 11 11 drills. They had to have staff members <laughs> fill in. Uh, so
0: essentially, <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. It's, it's so
0: ridiculous.
2: It, oh, Ridiculous does <laughs> Destiny. <really, laughs> um, so not only that, but learning about they couldn't have uh, camp at all the international windows, obviously in the build-up mm-hmm. to the World Cup, and there wouldn't they wouldn't have a friendly at home before the World Cup as well as basically a send-off game. So I have
0: to I have to say about not having a friendly at home. When I read that, that to me was the most obvious sign of something being wrong right because those are money makers yeah those are money yeah right like when all that started to come out my first thought was canada has never had more money for soccer than it's had right now because of the men making the world cup right and in theory yeah 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 in theory yeah and your women are at the top of the game defending olympic champion you know you'll sell out if you have them play at bmo field or you know at bc place Mm -hmm. like that's a money maker that's why that's why u.s soccer started doing she believes as opposed to traveling to europe in the in the february window that's a money maker so that that was kind of thing to me is like blaring red alert of something's wrong but sorry go ahead
2: no, no, no worries at all. Um, so basically, yeah, as, as they arrive and learn about this, and obviously the one of the big factors is, you know, they're learning all this months away from the World Cup. And then comparatively, obviously, with the Canadian men's team qualifying and going to the World Cup last year, they didn't have to deal with that. Um, you know, they had... all all the resources basically allotted to them. They had their their camps, they had the friendlies, although they had their own issues um, in terms of dealing with Canada soccer and things like that. Um, But essentially that's what happened. So the Canadian Players Association, they put out a statement saying, you know, essentially what was going on in terms of learning about these pretty noticeable um budget cuts to their program and saying okay like we're we're planning you know we'll do what we have to and if that includes not playing in this tournament in the she believes cup then so be it um canada soccer kind of came back at that saying um and what came out of that is that they had threatened legal action against the players if they did not play in the She Believes Cup because they were not in a legal strike position uh, in terms of Ontario la- labour laws, which is the province where Canada soccer is located. So uh, after that, the Canadian players came back and said, you know, unfortunately, we're not in a position to deal with <laughs> with legal action. Like, we don't have the money if we're sued for how you know however much we can't deal with that basically. So we're we'll play. We're playing under protest. Um, and but they said, you know, this is not us giving in, basically. We're, we'll they were do, very you know, clear about agreement. that. Yeah. Um, but you know we'll look ahead to the future. And obviously there's another window coming up in April where they're supposed to go to France to play France there, who obviously have their own issues going on <laughs> as well. And so that could be a very interesting friendly if that even happens. Um, so Canada, the players, they go ahead there. They did their own protests. They wore the purple jerseys or the, the purple t-shirts um, and the purple wristbands as well. Obviously they had uh, the, the, um, display with the U S national team as well, where they were also wearing the, the purple wristbands and the two teams came together before they played at the She Believes cup. Um, that that was was, really nice. That was fantastic to see. Yeah. It's, it's always really nice to see because obviously, you know, how much Canada U S hate each other on the field and, you (laughs) know, has, you know, attested to that many times, but it's really cool to see in that instance, um, the camaraderie and, you know, obviously, so many of those players play together on the NWSL clubs and you saw the support beforehand, like, Pino you know, talked about it, Alex Morgan, Becky Sauerbrunn. Uh, so, yeah, that was a really cool display where you saw, obviously, you know, what's gone on with the U.S. national team and wh- how much they had to fight their federation to get to where they are today and to now, you know, be allies with the Canadian team. Uh, again, like, obviously a team that they have a lot of history with on the field, but it was, it was an amazing display of, of camaraderie and coming together for for something bigger. So that's, yeah, that's basically what happened up to the She Believes Cup. And uh, I will say, you know, um, I think unfortunately the Canadian players, you could kind of see how much it was affecting them on the field. It was, they did not have their best stuff on the field at all. The Brazil game uh, was okay. Like, obviously they they came away with a result there. That
0: was a tough situation.
2: It's so tough, yeah. Like, especially that US game where it's just like, they've gone through the ringer and now they're like, okay. And it was actually, again, going to the hearings that just happened. I know Christine Sinclair had said that at one point she said to Priestman, sub me out in the first minute because she wanted to prove a point. Like, obviously that didn't end up happening, but they, they took talked about just how exhausted they were and I think Sinclair said after the game you know that that game could have gone you know one of two ways the way it went or they just came out guns a-blazing and and full of passion and unfortunately that didn't happen
0: yeah it's that's that's so hard to do when you've been so emotionally drained and and one of the things that you know I've talked with some fans about because you know being in Houston you know Hanging out with a lot of dash fans, we've got a lot of Canadians here. You know they're all on, on, on top of what's mm. going on. And, and they were like, "I can't believe they weren't allowed to strike." And, and I said, "Well, you know look, there's Canadian labor laws, and you know, the Canadian players don't have the support that the U.S players have in terms of a player's association with legal resources, right? the US women's national team players association over the years has gotten bigger not not bigger but stronger and stronger in terms of its own resources and making its own money through licensing for the players so they have legal resources right which is why they were able to you know fight the fights that they've they've done over the last several years right even though there were you know big legal costs involved where like you said the Canadian players look. Like, we don't have the legal resources to to make this a legal battle, right? Right.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure, honestly, when when they did come out with that initial statement, um, if they knew that they weren't in a legal strike position, or maybe they just wanted to to get on the offensive right. line, on the front right. foot. I don't know the the ins and outs of that. Um, To my knowledge, though, they are now in a legal strike position. So if it did come to that in April, again, to my knowledge, I I may be wrong on this, but I believe they are in a legal strike position now.
0: That's good. That's good. And so following She Believes, um, uh, again, a lot more happened. We had the Canada soccer president step down. Mm-hmm. um and then explain the, the government action that that's been happening <laughs>
2: Right, so yeah, it was um, yeah Nick to stepped down as president at the end of February, although he still has a, a nice cushy position at CONCACAF, so <laughs> kind of take from that what you will but yeah. Um, yeah, the four players, the four player representatives from the Players Association so you have uh, Sinclair, Janine Becky, Sophie Schmidt and Quinn they uh, testified uh, earlier this week at the Canadian, in front of the Canadian Heritage Committee, which is basically uh, a committee in the Canadian House of Commons um, in, in this case um, they've been looking into safe sports um, for the past little while so they they delved into what was going on with Hockey Canada in terms, mm-hmm. uh, if, if anyone's not familiar, basically in terms of how they have handled multiple sexual assault allegations concerning uh, players that have represented Canada at various levels mostly at the youth levels um, so they, when all this came to light basically with Canada Soccer they invited the players to to testify in front of the, the Heritage Committee, the Standing Committee so that's what, ha- what happened Thursday um, what was interesting is literally hours before the players were set to testify Canada Soccer sent out a statement uh, going over basically the CBA ne- negotiations that have been going on with not only the women's team but the men's team as well because um, the men's team is still embroiled as well in their their own contract negotiations um but the men's team and the women's team are allied um they're both after equal pay and equity um and and that's that's
0: so so important oh yeah um, to be allied like that and and that's another thing that i've mentioned to some fans where they're like it's not fair that the men get this the women get this i'm like no 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 In, in this situation you know, Canada Soccer has been screwing both of them.
2: <laughs> Essentially, yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. So, so Canada Soccer had come out with this statement, um, giving some specifics about what they have offered uh, in in this contract that they said they offered to both sides in June, um, as well as. Um, outlined some specific demands for of what the women's team had asked for, for the upcoming world cup. Um, And not only that, they, they also said that um, Canada they have Canada soccer business um, has offered to renegotiate the contract. And that's kind of a big factor, this Canada soccer, Ele- or, sorry Canada soccer business element because essentially uh, it's, it's very complicated and not a, and very much in the shadows of, of what this deal actually is but essentially Canada soccer and Canada soccer business have this contract where Canada soccer business controls um, like the broadcasting rights the sponsorship rights um, and, and many other things for the national teams and that basically any money, that either national teams make go to Canada Soccer Business. And then Canada Soccer Business gives Canada Soccer a set amount. And I can't remember exactly what that amount is, but a set of, a set amount annually. Um, but the problem with that is that if the national teams make more than What was anticipated. Uh, Obviously, you know, for instance, the the men's team qualifying for the World Cup, that's a big chunk of money that probably Canada soccer was not anticipating uh, and, and other factors like that. But regardless of what the national teams make canvas it's the same amount that goes to canvas soccer so that's what uh, the players on both national teams have been asking for they've been asking for transparency on this deal that just happened basically and I think it was uh, 2017 I think I might be wrong on, on the year that the, the date came into fruition um, but more than that the, the that deal is a 10-year deal and can be extended for another 10 years. Canada soccer business can just decide... Uh, on their own to extend that deal. So that could be in uh, in place until 2037. So this is what the players have been asking for. is like, well, who decided to sign this deal with uh, on the Canada soccer side? Why did they oh. think it was a good idea? And what are the specifics? They've been asking for transparency on this deal for a long time, and they have not received it yet. Uh, it's so
0: shifty. It's,
2: oh, it's so... It's, I mean, it's this, highly questionable. Yeah. This is
0: when I like to use CONCACAF as a verb. You've mm-hmm. been CONCACAFed. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And it was Victor Montagliani, who was the Canada soccer president at the time when this deal came uh, into fruition. So, uh, that's, that's a big factor. So yeah, in the statement, Canada soccer said, well, they're in talks with Canada soccer business to possibly renegotiate this agreement essentially. Um, but again, just the timing of the release of this statement was, uh, Questionable for sure, and even a lot of MPs, um, members of Parliament, at this hearing that the players testified, uh, were calling into question. Like, why did they release this hours before? And they asked the players about it, and Janine Becky had said, "Yeah, yeah, we were surprised by this." She said there were details in that release that had not been. Um, even known by the players basically that had not been communicated to the players. Uh, and she made a point of saying that she, like they, she and the players did not want to stoop to use her words to that love, to Canada soccer's level. And she said, we don't want to be negotiating in the public like this. So, and, and she kind of yeah. left it. That. Yeah. yeah.
0: She did have a great um, comment at, at the hearings that I, I, I saw, you know, pulled out where some uh minister is asking her, is there any difference between, you know, how women train and how men train? And she's like, no, we use the same ball, mm-hmm. same number of players. We play the same number of minutes on the same size field. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> like, Good exactly. for you, Janine. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. It was a very interesting hearing. Um, like all, all, all four of the players are so well-spoken, you know, having mm-hmm. interviewed the four of them, you know, on multiple occasions. It was um, – you know, I kind of knew they, they would do really well in, in that environment and was not uh, not disappointed at all. But there is a, a lot of interesting tidbits that came out of it, I, I would say. Uh, I think one that's, you know, circulating on, on Twitter is uh, in Chris, Christine Sinclair's opening statement. She talked about how, uh, I believe it was last year, that she was presenting the player side and what they were after in a meeting. And the then-president, Nick Vontes, Nick Bontis, uh, later in the meeting, uh, referred back to it as, what was it Christine was bitching about again? And that's just uh, kind of what the players have been dealing with for however many years now is just and what they refer to, obviously, is a lack of respect, for sure, and uh, definitely a lack of transparency from Canada Soccer.
0: And, and I think about, you know, because I've been following this so long, I think about, what was it, 2006, 2007, when Canada Soccer s- told the players, unless you live in Vancouver, we're not going to consider you for the mm-hmm. national team. And they weren't going to put you up in Vancouver or help you move to Vancouver. They were just saying, unless you live in Vancouver, we're not going to consider you.
2: Yeah, right? there's Yeah, there's been a lot of... Dealings with Canada soccer, obviously, before all this, like you talked about that. And that's basically how Charmaine Hooper, who was the Christine Sinclair before Christine Sinclair. Right, right. The national team because she was, you know, she and a few other players saying like, no, like we're not doing this. This isn't fair this this is unethical essentially and yeah. they didn't play for the national team again after that unfortunately and then obviously there's also the the Bob Berarda situation who was the under 20 uh coach for the women's team right. uh and the the sexual harassment uh, alleged sexual harassment that he dealt with players and I'm not really alleged anymore because since he was uh, convicted in uh, BC court for uh, other matters concerning that with youth players as well. So, uh, And then essentially Canada Soccer just allowed him, you know, they quietly let him go even in their release, they said they wish him well and he was allowed to, to coach, to go on to coach other youth teams and nothing was ever communicated concerning why he was let go. So there's been, yeah, a lot of... <laughs> Shady dealing, shall we say, with Canada soccer over the years. It's certainly not isolated to just the last year or last couple of years.
0: And then on the the business side, and by that I mean like failure to take advantage of this amazing property you have. I remember, you know, when they won bronze again in 2016, you know, back-to-back medals. And I'm thinking, you know, you've got all these FIFA windows coming up. They didn't do a home game until, what, the next... June, the next April, it was, it was ridiculous. So yeah, it was like June, 2017 is the, oh, let's celebrate that they won an Olympic gold medal, Olympic bronze medal last August. Right. It's, it's just that. I
2: think there might've been one in February.
0: Oh, that's, you're right. You're right. Yeah. February, 2017 at BC place because that's when Bianca Henninger played for Mexico. Sorry. I have these weird memory connections with these games, (laughs) but yeah. And it's just like, I, I've been to enough games in Canada. I went up for a uh, 2012 Olympic qualifying, right? You know, winter at, at BC Place, but like huge crowds. All, all the Canadian merch was sold out before the semifinals, right? Like I know how much, you know, the fans love that team. And, and it's like, why aren't you taking advantage? So, you know, again, like when I read that they heard there'd be no send-off match, like, are you kidding Mm-hmm. Do you not want to make money, you know, or, or 2019 leading up to the women's world cup, you know, and, uh, Nike releases the Jersey, like Canada's was a stock Jersey it's a yeah. stock Jersey with the Canada logo on it. It was just like, and I knew that wasn't Nike's fault that that was Canada soccer, getting a Nike deal too late to, you know, go through the process of doing a custom Jersey. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just never being really frustrated that I couldn't even buy that jersey on Nike's US site. Right. Right. right? You know, where it's like, come on, Christine Sinclair plays it. Like, <laughs> Nike's based in Portland. Come on. <laughs> like, oh,
2: oh, yeah. No, I, I know there's so many instances of that. I think Sinclair herself has talked about, like, how she can't get her own jersey, like, for her nieces. Stephanie yeah. talked about it as well after the Olympics and even in the celebration tour, like those uh, first two games that they had in October. Uh, and they wore like the jerseys with like the gold number. Yes. Like they were really nice. And you think, Oh, could go to the concessions and buy them. No.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and to me, that's, that's such a basic thing about, you know, fans and sports. Fans want to wear what the player players are wearing. Period. Don't yeah. put out anything on a player that they that a fan can't buy. You know, <laughs> Nike Nike still does this for the U.S. women too. They'll they'll get all these really cool like warm up and training gear. And when I used to run a store, people were like, oh, how do I get that? I'm like, can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, why would we want to make money off women's soccer? Mm-hmm. But so, so Megan, up? where does where does um. Where do the Canadian players go from here? I mean, is it just because so there was a deal offered, and the headline I saw at least this was Canada soccer's headline was you know could make them the second highest paid women's national team in the world, right yeah. which sounds great, but you know when you consider that most teams aren't paid very much that it's it's not as great as it sounds True. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah, and an important part of that too. And again, going back to the the hearing, um, this is something that Christine Sinclair had said that the, the pay equity is just a small piece of what they're after, the equal pay. It's about equal treatment. And again, right. just going back to the cuts to their, to their program and not being able to train properly. And again, we're talking, they're months away. They're defending Olympic gold medalists months away from the world cup. They're ranked sixth in the world. They have a legitimate shot at contending for the world Cup, and they can't train properly in a world cup year. Uh, It's just, it's insane. (laughs) Really? So yeah, in terms of kind of where we go, um, in terms of what's going on with the, the Heritage Committee, their Canada Soccer uh, is set to testify uh, on. March 20th, I believe, is the date, the Monday. Um, and so Earl Cochran, who's the general secretary, uh, reportedly is set to testify on that date. As uh, well, it's been reported that Nick Bontis, the former president, is set to, to testify as well. And not sure if there will be any more uh, people. Um, the players were asked uh, during their testimony who they would like to see in front of the committee. And they had said basically anyone that was uh, in a position of power or had anything to do with the the Canada, Canada soccer business deal uh, from the Canada soccer side. And they were asked specifically, would that include Victor Montegliani? And they said, yes, they would like to see him testify. I personally would not hold my breath on that, but <laughs> it uh, would be quite interesting if uh, if he did somehow, uh, go in front of the committee. But in any case, that's kind of what's set up on, on that side. And then if, any, if anything comes of that, that's, Uh, more of a question mark basically the committee can kind of make recommendations um and we'd we'd see where they go from there but um basically they'll they'll continue to negotiate but uh, i think the next kind of big date is again talking about that april international window where they're they're set to play a friendly against france um and that's as of right now is their last schedule game before the world cup i'm sure there will be more if they do get this send-off game that reportedly um canada soccer has agreed to um to to give them um and then you know we'll we'll see kind of what what happens there and i think they've They have said that they'll have like some closed door friendlies closer to the World Cup as well. But in any case, it's yeah, it's probably, you know, all eyes will return to them again for that uh, April international window against France and see where they are. And um, if they uh, if if that game happens, quite (laughs) frankly,
0: And I think it's just, it's going to be such a fascinating year for women's soccer. Um, you know, we were already excited about this year, right? Because the Women's World Cup, like, you know, first time for Australia and New Zealand to host any kind of World Cup, first time for the Women's World Cup to be in the Southern Hemisphere, yada, yada, you know, um, first time for 32 teams. But with what's going on with Canada and now France and Haiti, their former president is yeah trying to claim his spot again, you know, yeah. after they had that amazing qualification for the women's world cup, you know, um, the, Spain as the well. yeah, yeah. The, the eternal Spain <laughs> thing. Um, but you know, this could be ground zero in a way for the future uh, of, of women's international soccer, right. Yeah. How, how national teams are treated, how they, you know, fight for, for what they deserve. And, and I like that the Canadian players have said this isn't about equal pay. It's about equal treatment, treatment right? Because equal pay can be really hard uh, to work out when you, when you focus in on bonuses, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: you know, because the federations themselves can't control FIFA's bonus money setting, right? So I, I kind of throw that out the door, but it's the equal treatment. It's the, hey, you know, they got 24 in a camp. We need to get 24 in a camp right um yeah. you know there's there's a reason that world cup rosters are 23 that's not a number that was pulled out of a hat that's 11 v 11 plus an extra keeper right
2: it, right right? It's, right
0: you know it's, it's like you you want to have you know no camp roster should ever be smaller than 22 because yeah. you want you want to be able to to do a, a full scrimmage it's it's, it's i laughed because putting that up
2: a funny line about that where they were talking again about not having enough players at camp. And they had said, you know, I applaud our our staff members for their ability to play (laughs) soccer, but they're (laughs) probably not at the national team level.
0: (laughs) Well, and I was, I was talking with a friend about this last night and it it made me think about, um, you know, that original women's world cup, which FIFA didn't even want to call the women's Mm -hmm. world cup. Um, the they played 40 minute halves, not right. 40, not 45 because they were worried, you know, quote unquote, yeah. about the women being able to last 45 minutes. But that's such BS because to save money, they staged the tournament in basically two weeks. So you were playing a game almost, oh, yeah. every, almost every other day. So mm-hmm. when, if you go back and you look at that schedule at Women's World Cup, the US is playing, it's Game day, travel day, game day, travel day, game day. You know, it's like, and and a big reason, the U.S. players will tell you this, a big reason that they came in on top was, you know, we were one of the few countries that was fitness oriented. Right. Right. You know, so it's like, don't tell me that you're worried the players, you know, aren't going to perform well after 40 minutes, but you're basically making them play a competitive match every other day. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and that they... They wanted to deflate the ball a little bit, you know, and they put teams up at the same hotel. So like U.S. and Norway in the final, they're at the same hotel, <laughs> yep. right? And, but, but I think the funniest thing to me is that afterwards, the way they flew teams home, I, I think they put um, U.S., Norway, Sweden, and a couple other European teams on the same plane, Right. And so, of course, that meant that the U.S. was the last to get home for like, a <laughs> 30-hour journey. But you're yeah. also sitting on this plane with the entire team that you just beat, right? <laughs> like it, it's, it's like, I get that you guys wanted to save money, but it's not like FIFA was poor at the time. And just like, you know, there are certain competitive standards that need to be set outside budgetary constraints, right? Like you would never say, okay, we're only going to have the women's world cup be 10 V 10. So we can save on the number of players going. It's like, no, the game, the game is 11 V 11 on this size field with this kind of ball, you know, the same uniform standards apply, the same field standards apply. So, you know, your baseline should be that. I mean, could you imagine the, the reaction from men's soccer players, tell, tell Cristiano Ronaldo, it's like, yeah, we're going to compress the World Cup so you'll play the whole group stage in, three, in five, five days.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it's like, it's come so far, you know, um, and, and I'm not saying good job, FIFA, that, it, that it's come so far, but I am so excited about this Women's World Cup. Um, and I mentioned this in, in my other segment of this podcast is that it's 32 teams which is such a beautiful, simple, you know, eight teams of four, you have to finish second in your group to advance. And there's a round of 16, right? So you, you, you can't be a third place team and go through, um, that the schedule is nice, you know, nice spaced out. They've got, um, you know, you're either playing your whole group stage in Australia or New Zealand, right? You're not going back and forth between Mm -hmm. the two countries. Um, there's no double headers, right? Every game is standalone. Um, and, and I feel like Australia and New Zealand have just really stepped up to, to embrace this. And I'm, I'm, I'm really excited, like seeing the fans that were at the playoff games last month where, you know, it's like Haiti versus Chile and, and, and stuff like that. Like, you know, it's going to be hard for co- fans of those countries to travel. There were still some fans there and there were New Zealanders there clearly just like, this is so exciting. Yeah. Right. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just thrilled and, and I hope, um, you know, whatever happens with Canada and of course also you know, France and Spain you know, that that can at least get set aside mentally once they get to the tournament. Right. So it can just be the tournament because no team, no player, you know, deserves to put up with that kind of crap. It, it makes me think a little bit of the 2018 men's world cup where Spain fired the coach like five days for the tournament. Mm,
2: yeah. and it,
0: it's like, Oh yeah, that's not going to mess with your players' heads at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not, that's not chaos at all, but Hey, it keeps us interesting for, you know, people like you and me that, that, that cover this sport. So, so any last thoughts on, on, on Canada soccer, be it, you know, focus on this year or historical or, or, or maybe your favorite memory from that 2021 gold medal match. Ooh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's good to speak of happier times. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, you know what, as well, as obviously as thrilling as it was to, to watch them win gold and, and the what uh, roller coaster the penalties were because they had missed oh, three in a row. And at that point, you know, I wasn't in Tokyo. I was covering from home. So I'm like, well, okay, it's over. Yay, silver. It's still, you yeah, know, yeah. a milestone for the program. And just to see it completely turn Lava was insane. She was insane. And and like when Caroline Seeger stepped up to like essentially win it, I thought, well, this is her moment. Like this is going to win it for her country. And and yeah, just again, (laughs) and then to see like Deanne Rose go upper ninety? In that in that situation, and oh I asked her about it a, a bit. It was a few months afterwards. I was like, "Did you always like know what you're going to do?" She's like, "Yeah, like you know, that's kind of that's where I was thinking." And didn't really like. She, she's just she's so chill and relaxed <laughs> when you talk to her. So it's just I can't imagine that. Yeah,
0: but well, and it, it was so amazing to me because so yeah. I was working for um, NBC Sports, so I was doing stats on that game from Connecticut, you know, for the announcers <laughs> in Tokyo. And I just remember thinking, it's like, wow, they're going into this penalty shootout without Sinclair. Yeah. But, but I was like, but it clearly looks like it doesn't matter. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right? Which, which to me is, is like, that's a sign of, you know, a top-level team where it's, it's like, no, we are all ready to mm-hmm. take and make, you know, a penalty kick. That was just, yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. They had, they, they, you know, cold steel running through, <laughs> through their veins. Insane, yeah. 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 Well, and one last thing. So we got the announcement this week that TSN, your network, will be showing NWSL games this season. So so talk about this from the perspective of being an NWSL fan in Canada, because I know from some of my Canadian friends how problematic it's been in the past to yeah. always watch the end of result.
2: Yeah, definitely. uh, You know, Canadians are kind of the forgotten fans, it feels like, a a lot of the times when it comes to NWSL and NWSL coverage, because in theory, all the games are available on Twitch for Canadian viewers, or at least that was the case. But unfortunately, what happened is there were, depending on what uh twitch channel the game was on it would be geolocked for canadian viewers and you you literally didn't know until you would go and try to watch it like oh i guess i'm not watching this one it it was really kind of russian roulette in terms of like can i watch this game no i guess not and part of the problem was just um the confusion around the cbs deal and what it meant for canadian viewers because i i think uh well what it felt like anyway is that uh you know, the powers that be in the NWSL, got the Canadian viewers got CBS Sports. And we don't, <laughs> you know, we have yeah. the CBS, but we don't have yeah. access to CBS Sports. So I think that that muddied the waters a lot. At least that's, that's to my understanding, <laughs> is trying to yeah. figure out exactly like, why can't we watch, you know, our Canadians <laughs> play in this league was a little frustrating.
0: Well, and that's why I'm so excited about, um, you know, where they're going this year with pursuing um, deals like TSN, you know, with, with other countries. So, you know, knowing that there are so many international players in NWSL and starting to go to, you know, find out, okay, how can we be shown in in, in those countries, right? Like really Mm -hmm. starting to take that, that worldview. I mean, one of the things I thought that the NWSL did brilliantly from the beginning Like that first season, you could watch every single game for free except Boston Breakers on YouTube. Starting 2014, everybody was free live Mm -hmm. on YouTube, not geo-blocked anywhere. Um, And one of the things that I noticed when I started calling Dash Games on YouTube was like the comments we would get from all over the world, right? Where when you think of, there's a lot of women's pro soccer out there, but at that time... You know, you really couldn't watch it unless you were in the country where it was being played, right? So, mm. end of your cell was because of that. YouTube got that great exposure, right? So now we've obviously advanced beyond just putting it up free on, on YouTube. So I'm glad that they're starting to focus more on how do we make sure this is in every country, easily, yeah. You know, um, where, where where people want to watch it, and you know, it was great that Twitch was was free, mm. but you know, it's it's problematic to me that you can't go back and get a game very easily. It seems like they disappear off of most channels after four months, whereas like Paramount Plus in the US, if you have a subscription, you can go back and watch every game that Paramount Plus has ever done of NWSL, including the draft and all kinds of other things. So, yeah. um, you know, so excited that um, TSN is getting in the mix. You know, TSN, of course, uh, for those who don't know, is the World Cup broadcaster, you know, for, for Canada. So that's, I mean, to me that's gotta be then the the go-to sports channel for Canadian fans.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, you know, um, Part of that, you know, again, kind of just going back to that Canada soccer business deal is that uh, they, for the broadcasting rights, unfortunately, TSN no longer has them for the national teams. Uh, it's, uh, it's a streaming service called One Soccer. Oh, oh, I knew that. Yeah. Knew well, that. we do have, as you said, we have the the, the rights. Cup. Cup. So it's the men's, it's the women's, it's the youth World Cups as well. Wow. Um, but just in terms of national teams for for friendlies or for qualifying games, those are with One. Soccer, which yeah. um, some of the players have pointed out, you know, as great as one soccer is, because again, it, it's it's accessible. They have all the games. It is still a streaming service, so their games aren't available on television, which is right. a, a big concern. Again, most I, mostly the women's players have spoken out about that as how they would like to see their games on television.
0: And and that's the kind of thing, like you know, as we live in an increasingly streaming age, there's still this thing about television that you know, you're never going to accidentally come across a stream, right? Right. You, you, you you deliberately put it on. Whereas when something's on TV, I can go into a bar and say, Hey, can you put this game on? And I have done that multiple times over the years at random places and people like, Oh, what are you watching? Oh, I didn't know there was women pro soccer. Oh, I didn't know the national team had, you know, um, the, the pub where I, I host watch parties for, for the dash, um, you know, whether it's been on TV or streaming, you know, I, I I get the, the the pub to show it, but when it's on TV, it's like, I, I had a woman join us at the watch parties who was, she said, I had no idea Houston had a team until I turned on CBS and a team was playing and they said it was the Houston dash. (laughs) Right. So (laughs) she happened, she happened to catch a big CBS game, you know, and yeah. So um, there's still that value that TV offers that, the streaming doesn't. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, this is going to be a really interesting year <laughs> for women's um, soccer. I mean, just, just the first, what nine, 10 weeks have already been crazy. <laughs> um But Megan, thank you so much for taking the time to walk through the whole Canadian crisis. Um, I feel like I haven't been able to catch, keep up with it because like something keeps happening every two days. So, <laughs> yeah, so at least, right. at least like, stuff is progressing and not just like, Oh yeah, that happened. And so what, you know? Um, and we're on the verge of, you know, we're entering the second decade of NWSL, you know, and the Canadian players have been a huge part of that, you know, from the beginning. So, you know, know that you've got the whole NWSL fan base in the U S behind these Canadian players.
2: Oh, that's great to hear. <laughs>
0: Time to wrap it up with the back four. First and foremost, like I mentioned at the Open, Utah is official, returning to NWSL in 2024. We will likely have one other team in 2024, so the league will be up to 14 teams for the first time ever. Um, More about Utah joining the league on EqualizerSoccer.com. They were the first one to break the news uh, way, way back in, in January. And then, of course, we are barely a week away from NWSL kicking off. It's, let's say, 10th regular season, 11th year, you know, because, of course, COVID messed everything up. But... Let's put it this way, NWCL entering its second decade. That's huge. And this decade will feature a lot of new things like VAR for every single game, more cameras for every single game. Um, The Challenge Cup schedule, Challenge Cup played within the regular season as opposed to a a separate tournament. Lots of lots of big changes like that. Um, And it was just recently announced, um, you know, all of the games in the US are cbs cbo sports paramount plus tsn in canada is picking up several games internationally no longer the games with twitch they will all be free on nwclsoccer.com if you are outside the united states and then, um, if you haven't already found my Keeper Notes Women's Soccer Google Calendar, you definitely want to search for it within Google Calendar, or you can go to KeeperNotes.com, click on Wosopedia, and find the link for it. I put so much information on this calendar. The entire NWSL schedule, all the April international friendlies, Women's World Cup, Olympic qualifiers, uh, NCAA College Cup, lots of great stuff. So check that out, KeeperNotes.com then click on Wosopedia. Last but never least, uh, the Keeper Notes Almanac. Getting so close to having it done. I'm talking about the 2022 Almanac, which would feature everything from 2013 to 2022 for NWSL. It's more than 400 pages. Now's the time to order it. So as soon as I have it done, it will ship to you, hoping to be shipping by early April. Uh, Go to KeeperNotes.com, click on Almanacs, and there's also older Almanacs that are heavily discounted if you want to check out one of those. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. Many thanks, as always, to everyone who listens, talks about it, tweets about it, agrees to an interview with me, gives me feedback about it. Mostly, thanks to Sean, my producer, and the Beautiful Game Network for making this podcast possible.
1: But now she's
0: body's good. Let's go.